You're listening to the Community Call with host Murray Riley Jr. Folks, we apologize for the delay. We're trying to make sure all the panel, panel members make their way into the show. We have Michael here into the show with us tonight. Hello, Michael. How are you doing, sir? Doing all right. Doing, okay. doing better. I have two Michaels with me tonight. Oh, <laughs> oh I'm so sorry. We talk about it. We have our senior panelist, Michael. We have our senior panel, Michael W. from New York. We also have Michael, Michael Bailey here. W. Michael S.W. From New York here with us. And we, we also have Michael Bailey here from the Minority Report joining us tonight as well. We want to thank you, Michaels, for being here with us, the M&M show. Okay. <laughs> well, well Murray, you got yes, a pair of Michaels. You got a pair of Michaels, and you're not even playing poker. Oh, yeah. You got that right. You got that right. <laughs> Good Mike, to be here with you, Murray. Good to be here, man. You. Thank you so much, Michael. Glad glad you had a chance to stop by and join us tonight. Um, um, before we get started, guys, I want to I want to give a heartfelt um, appreciation for Michael S. W. from New York for joining us. Michael was under the weather here shortly um, this past week, and uh, he's recovering very well, as you can tell. He has has great humor, and we thank Michael for being here with us tonight. Michael, how you feel, sir? I am feeling better, and um, bit by bit day by day, following what the doctors say. Um, it wasn't just under the weather, but um, to be blunt, and I'm only saying this just to um, be informative to our audience, that um, um, it was a cardiology issue. Um, I had um, an irregular heartbeat, at, which also added to a low blood pressure. And um, it was what was called affibrillation. And that's pretty much exactly what it's defined the way I um, explained it to you. I am now um, consulting with three doctors, two of which are in the cardiology um, um, section. And um, right now they gave me a series of medications. Um, What happened was I had blacked out um, early in the week and which um, it started my wife, and she had to call um, 911 and the paramedics for me. Paramedics and police arrived at our front door, and um, police was there to uh, make way for paramedics and us um, to get into the ambulance. I was rushed to the hospital, was in the emergency room for throughout the morning before they um, gave me a room. Um, during the course of the morning, they administered a whole bunch of tests, the necessary tests. Everything came back okay, and that's when they found out also about the affibrillation. They gave me a bunch of medication to see if that would get me balanced between the blood pressure and um, my heart rate. Because um, although the doctors, which one of them is an electrocardio specialist, um, while he would not dismiss um, concerns of, you know, stress or even as some people thought of a thyroid playing a contributing factor as to how the blood pressure and the heart rate functions. He said there is no official um, word of what is the cause for affibrillation. 
um, nor there is no absolute cure for the matter. It can only be monitored, and thus, um, at the current moment, um, the medication that I've been prescribed is um, doing the trick. Now, if it doesn't work, then it may have to go into um, a plan B, which I will not go into discussion with. So um, that's pretty much um, what's happening to me right now. The important lesson in this is that it can happen to anybody for any reason. Now, even though the doctor said this, of course, if you're going through issues of stress or going through any other areas of concern that you think may be raising your anxiety, certainly um, behold that, embrace it, and um, just keep raising the concerns to your doctors and anybody else that is in the managed care team of your particular case. You don't want to take an issue and sweep it under the rug, and then it's something that can be dealt with. So this is why I'm just um, enlightening everybody um, about my situation, what I learned, because I know I may not be the only person that um, has endured you know, this, and certainly it was a shock to me. It's still a bit shocked to me, but I'm glad that um, I have overcome it um, to a point. Thank God for that. I am still recovering, taking things slow, a step at a time. And in closing, I just want to thank each and every one of you that um, expressed their concerns and well wishes and thoughts and prayers on the Community Call podcast um, Facebook group page and amongst um, pages like Point of Concern, I have been back and forth on those pages trying to respond to as many as I can. I did one acknowledgement, general acknowledgement to address to everybody the thank yous and heartfelt appreciation I have for every one of you. And um, Murray is definitely a witness to that. And I express my gratitude with utmost peace and love that you folks know me for. And that's pretty much I'm not I'm not going to go any further before I start breaking down in tears because Oh it is don't, an don't don't situation. Don't, oh, <laughs> oh, oh don't. You're doing you're doing very good, Michael in 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 Yes. And God knows we 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 were in prayer for you the moment that we heard about this and uh, just just to have you here this afternoon is wonderful. Uh, we appreciate everything that you do for us here on the show. We want and to- on Easter weekend too. It's like God is great. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, we want we want to kick off the show, guys, with a couple of questions and uh, some things that have been coming across my desk as as we've been. Uh, Back and forth, we talked with Michael today on some issues in, in regards to uh, the the Derek Chauvin um, case. I'll tell you something, folks. Uh, uh, a lot of people are asking the question on social media, will this guy get off? And uh, I'm not participating in those social media questions right now, but a lot of folks are. And folks are worried that he's going to get off and it's going to cause a whole lot of hullabubub. You know what I say, Michael. You know what I say on that. What mm-hmm, you feeling mm-hmm. on what you feeling on this? And then we're going to come we're going to come to our guest and ask him what are their opinions on this. Go ahead, Michael. My opinion, he will not get off on this. What I fear is a hung jury 
because I got to give props to the prosecution team. They have been dotting their I's, crossing their T's, and as of late, made the defense attorneys um, caught off their game. Um, the defense attorneys, or the old defense, is that Derek um, Chauvin conducted himself as he was trained, and they want to assassinate the character of George Floyd, make him out to be a sinister instead of treating him like a human being, despite of whatever drug um, problems that he had, in which they had already established it was an opioid drug or something that had to do, deal with um, physical and emotional pain. And that was disclosed by his girlfriend at the time, who also had the similar problem and situation. So it's a matter of humanizing the victim and the victim's family and uh, friends, those that were associated with them, instead of trying to cast them as a villain. What is so amazing also is that you had two high-ranking um, high-ranking law enforcement personnel that testified on the behalf of the state that said that Derek Chauvin's conduct not only crossed the line but was not, I repeat, not part of the training that is administered um, to officers when they are in the academy. Now, this is very, very critical um, because not only does it blow the defense's case, you know, right out of, I can't say out of the park, but it pretty much um, um, pops a balloon in there, what they thought to be an airtight case. But the thing is, it raises um, questions as to other police departments, especially when it comes to police union and union leaders that are in, that have been encouraging um, such police misconduct and their hostile um, attacks towards the critics. Um, we kept saying that there's a lot of excellent police officers that are dedicated and they are stuck between a rock and a hard place. Um, and pretty much those are the real law enforcement professionals um, in which their reputation is being tarnished by those who shouldn't have been in on the force to begin with. But focusing solely on the Derek Chauvin case, we got to remind everybody, Derek Chauvin, out of the four officers, was the um, officer with the most seniority. And the other three officers were pretty much the trainees that just got out of the academy. And this would be the prime example of when uh, police officers getting out of a police academy, graduating, and now going into an assigned precinct. And we have heard reports of um, a police officer with seniority or uh, someone of a supervisory position telling the cadets, not the cadets, the rookies, I'm sorry, the police rookies, the newly graduated, telling them what you learn in the academy, scrap that. That's just baby garbage, right? You're in the real deal now. We're going to show you how things are done. You know, that was just to get a general knowledge. But 
uh, is nothing compared to the actual experience that you have to endure. And this is how to go about things. And when they teach the rookies um, in the precinct, it's a lot of times as reported by um, retired police officers or even former police officers that could not endure this any further, that is totally contrary to what was taught to them in the academy. Well, so let me ask you. Well, let me question. let me ask you the question, because mm-hmm. I know from from our experience, we talked about you had some relatives that are in law enforcement, and their opinions were right. varied at the time. We'll come. I'm gonna come back to you. I want to ask my other Michael. Michael, what's your feeling <laughs> on this situation? I know you're monitoring the situation as I as as I am. What's your thought on this? I know we all on social media. Everybody's asking the question. Is is Derek well, Chauvin going to get off? And what's the feeling on this? Well, I, I you know, I, I don't want to uh, <laughs> Monday morning quarterback. <laughs> or, don't worry. Don't know. worry. Go ahead. <laughs> I don't want, I don't want a Monday morning quarterback. It's fine but, by me. Go ahead. <laughs> what I do want to bring uh, to your listeners and to your attention is as um, working in politics, um, the many years that I've worked in politics and being a journalist and looking at this from both sides, um, it's very important that you listen to the verbiage being used in this when you, when you talk about, number one, it's the murder trial. Uh, Officer Chauvin is on trial for murder, okay? And that that in itself, Bob, that in itself is, is a problem. Um, what What's going on right now is that a black man is, is dead, and the black man is dead for no good reason at all. And even if he committed the crime of passing a, a phony $20 bill, the sentence is convicted of that crime if he was alive. In no way, shape, or form, the punishment, death. And I want you to, before we talk about whether or not he's going to get off, they're not the the argument that his defense is mounting is that it is not the uh, officer Chauvin's knee on his neck that killed him. It is a result of uh, drug use and other problems. We, I have not read the autopsy report, so I don't know what it says, um, and I don't know, and I have talked to anybody that has. We're, it's going to weigh heavily, what's going to weigh on this decision is what that autopsy report says. Now, if it says that opioids in some way affected his, his heart, his lungs, or his rate, and if it was not for that opioid in his system, that a normal person would have been able to survive with that knee on his neck. Now, we have to, we have to, as as a community, we have to be prepared for that, and we have to look at what's saying. If more, if you, if I got a store and you come into my store and you slip, and I mop the floor and you slip on the floor and you sue, you're not going to sue the bucket of water. You're going to sue me. You know, if the dog, if my dog bites the mailman, you don't sue the dog. You sue me. And the problem I have 
is whether or not Derek Chauvin gets charged with murder or not, it is not him that is the, it is not Officer Chauvin that is the problem. It is the police department and it's the police department across the countries that need to be on trial. We keep what's going to, what you're seeing happen now is his officers, his superiors are throwing him on the, under the bus and they're being very intentional with what they say. If you listen to the court uh, reports, oh, we didn't train you like that. Not that, oh, that was wrong or that was bad. No, 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 we didn't train you like that. We didn't, no, 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 no. After a certain amount of time, you were supposed to remove his knee. Not, you weren't supposed to put your knee on his neck. If at the, after nine minutes, if he wasn't moving, you should have removed your knee from his neck. And see, we are, a lot of times we get caught up in the, the, in, in the um, emotional context of the moment, but we're not understanding George Floyd is dead because of racism. Racism needs to be put on trial, not Officer Derek Chauvin. He, he, he needs to go to jail, but it's only a symptom of the problem. It's, it's the dogs keep coming out the cage. They keep sicking the dogs on us. And when a dog bites somebody, we want to take the dog to court. And see, we need to stop that, and we need to focus on what the problem is. It's police systems in America. It's these policies and procedures that they have, the law have allowed them to get away with brutalizing certain people. And when you brutalize people with the tactics you were trained to do, in the off chance that somebody dies, oh, okay, then it's, well, we didn't, you know, we didn't teach that. Well, you should have stopped that for two minutes. But we got to understand what, what's, what's going on and what's being argued here. And so my, you know, I hope he's charged with murder, but it's more than him that's, that's on trial or that should be on trial, you know, that get getting convicted. I, I, I hope he's convicted. But it, it's more. You have the officers that stood by. You, and and you have the officers who who trained them to do this, and it's the it's the system as a whole that we that needs to be on trial because Derek Chauvin is convicted and sent to jail. It'll be another one next week, and another one after that, and another one after that. And Absolutely. so it's it, it it you know it's not. I'm hoping that we realize what the problem is sooner or later we need to wake up and realize what this problem what the problem is you know something uh, go ahead michael go ahead with your comment right well you know michael um raises an excellent point about the system but let's face facts here based on what we're seeing thus far that derek chauvin is an element of that particular racism what also needs to come forth is what he mentioned about the other officers that were involved. They, too, are facing criminal charges as um, close to murder as well, if not um, partial murder. But they, too, have been um, indicted on severe criminal charges matching that or closely matching that to Chauvin. Um, so, but they'll be being tried later on. We got to remember that um, in this trial itself, the prosecution had played not one, not two, not three, but four times 
the encounter with um, George Floyd, the fatal encounter, why was it done four times? Because it was done from each of the involved officers' body cams. But Derek Chauvin's body cam, the last to have been um, presented into evidence. They did that so to show undisputedly of what had occurred um, leading up to George, George Floyd's final breath and beyond, that there's no way somebody can say that's trying to, um, trying to fabricate an excuse on behalf of those now former cops. That's just that they're now former police officers indicted on criminal charges of murder or man and or manslaughter. That there's no way someone can say, well, that's just one camera. Another camera can show another um, perception, another explanation, and give a bigger picture that you cannot blame the officers. No. It's a situation that um, just when they think they got the answers, the prosecution and people like us change the questions. um, There's no way, I don't think there's any way Derek Chauvin will get off. But what I'm concerned with is it could be a hung jury. It would be a hung jury or there would be an absolute conviction. And thus far, the prosecution is presenting a case that is solid for conviction. You just don't know if, heaven forbid, there's somebody on that jury that could be absolutely pro-police or pro-racism or think that I'm going to make sure I'll be the the sole holdout to avoid the white cop or the white white, um, supporter um, getting convicted. With that said, what I'm also hoping for that could possibly um, lead to a conviction is further evidence showing Chauvin should have been removed from the police force long ago and exposed another contributing element to George Floyd's death. And this is also to the injustice of other people of color, as Michael was uh, pointing out, the systemic racism. And that is the name of Donald Trump. I'm hoping that... Well, as as you're saying, as you're saying, one thing that comes to one thing that's coming to my mind is as as we as we we can we can always circle back around to him every time in situations like these. The thing that's on my mind at the moment, the thing that's on my mind at the moment, and I agree with Michael too, is that we have to let this thing play out. But my concern is, if we don't get the verdict that we all desire, we're gonna have folks in the street in Minnesota again. And we're going to have folks upset with the way this outcome is going to be. But all over the country, but all over the country. Yes. Most, most of, most of black America is holding its breath right now with this situation. Um, I want to bring in our guest, uh, our guest panelist for this evening. And I would like to ask him to introduce himself to the audience and answer the question, if you like, sir. All right, I take that's me. I'm Johnny Cordero, and I'm the uh, chair of the Democratic Black Caucus of South Carolina. Um, you know, the inter- well, first of all, thank you for having me, and I, and, I, and I appreciate what you're doing, and I appreciate the, the, the audience that you reach, because one of the things that we have to learn to do is to educate, to empower. 
and I believe that that's what you're doing. So my hat, I take off my hat to you and, and your program. Um, the thing that strikes me as most interesting about this is that everybody watched from all of the camera viewpoints. They watched him murder that man. It was clear, flat-out murder, no question about it. Nobody, everybody understands that. But what we've done is we, we're still at the position of, think about it, this is very important. We're in the position of questioning, which is what your lead-off question was, whether or not, how, what's the outcome of the trial? How, how, how can we even ask that question? And the reason we ask that question now is because we're not sure. For what, what the first, first Michael said about regarding a holdout, uh, hung jury, that kind of thing. Well, that points up the system itself, and that's what's problematic here. It is the system. The one thing that we don't talk enough about is the fact that the system is created to do what it does. And until we own up to that, we're going to keep asking these questions, which seem to me no more than circular reasoning. Um, the system is created to do what it does. What does it do? With regard to African-Americans, the former uh, enslaved people in this country, what they're referring to as the Americans, the Americans' original sin, are simply uh, moved from one plantation to another. And, and let me be clear about that. The police departments of the day are really nothing more than evolved slave patrols. That's all they are. They're slave patrols, and they, they provide the same function that the slave patrols did during slavery, and that was to make sure that people with the black community were surveilled in those cases it were plantations that they were surveilled that the, the the people particularly the males were intimidated and that they were punished for the slightest uh fraction infractions the point of that being that so we would instill fear in people so that they were afraid to spit on the sidewalk because they might get killed and guess what that's what's happening now so now back in those days what you had was the um uh, uh the uh, slave uh, patrol would stop a black man, a slave at the time, and he would say to him, nigger wit, excuse the expression, but I'm, I'm, I speak the truth, I'm sorry. He said, nigger wit, where you'll pass. Now they stop you and they say, oh, pardon me, sir. May I have to see your license and registration? You're still giving an accounting. And oh, by the way, can you get out your car, please? And oh, by the way, I'm gonna put handcuffs on you because they are for my protection as well as your protection, right? Handcuff me for my protection, uh-huh, okay. So we're going to handcuff you. We're going to we're going to uh, run your plates. We're going to pull out your full record and find out what you've done. Now, here's an interesting thing with regard to Chauvin, and I don't ever hear anybody hear anybody talk about this. It has been said, and I don't know it was true as I wasn't there, but it has been said that Chauvin had a relationship. He worked with Floyd as a bouncer in a nightclub mm -hmm. for several years. He knew him. Now. Let me paint a scenario for you, okay? What we have is a lot of guys who did not like black folk, period, okay? And maybe their lives didn't turn out they wanted to, the way they wanted to simply because, look out, they're police. Nobody comes out except maybe a member who's a member of police family comes out wants, wanting to be a police officer. So he becomes a police officer. Now, all of a sudden, he's in a situation with this big black guy, six foot and change, muscular, and who also, by the way, is dating a white woman, and they work together. And then later on, he runs into him on another situation where now he's in control, because he's got the badge. He's not off duty, and he can make arrests, and he can do what he wants to do. And that, in my estimation, is probably what happened. So here's the point. It's clear that he was murdered. No question about that. 
It's clear that there's so much documentation, it's not funny, but still we're asking the question, how is this going to turn out? And that is because the system is created to allow that to happen. Here's what happens. If police officers who are, who are responsible for maintaining surveillance and intimidation of the black population, it is their responsibility to do so, but they can only do so if the system permits them to do so. So how did this come about? You've got to understand how this system works. How did this come about? It didn't come about by the rules of police officers so much as it came about by the rules of the United States Supreme Court. This, I, don't, I don't know if you're aware of it, and I hope your listeners are aware of it. This nonsense about the officer being in fear of his life is not a law. It is a Supreme Court ruling. And so the Supreme Court's function, partially, is to ensure that the police have the, the, the leeway to do what they need to do. And what is their job? Their job is to keep us straight. And that means to keep us controlled. Now, I know people don't like to hear this, and I'm, I'm sorry I have to say it, but the fact of the matter is until all Americans black and white understand how this system works, it's going to continue. And the reason it's going to continue is because there are always going to be people who will stand up. There are always going to be people who will not allow themselves to be pushed around, who will not allow themselves to be, to be humiliated in front of their wives and their families. And there are people who are going to fight back. And now what's going to happen is when they do, they're going to kill them, whether they, whether they, have, whether they have a license for that gun because most of them are unarmed in any event, but there have been cases where men have been armed and who had licenses and were still killed. What we're seeing, and I'll end on this point because this is something right, that people Randall must understand. What we're, exactly. What we're, under, what we're actually seeing here is extrajudicial executions. The, the, the United States Constitution particularly provides that a man shall not be held without an indictment, okay? And you certainly can't take his life without a trial. What has happened now is these police are now able, because of the Supreme Court of the United States, are able to approach a person. Why? Because, because his, uh, his turn signals didn't operate right? Because he walked up and he smelled the smell of marijuana emanating from the car? And in each and every case, mark my words, you'll see that every single one of these incidents occurred from a, something that was not a capital offense in all cases. So what happens is the police then are able to intimidate law-abiding citizens, and I don't know who's on the panel, but law-abiding citizens. You're riding down the street. The blue light goes off you're black. The blue light goes off behind you. Your license is straight. Your registration is straight. You got insurance. You're not doing anything. Your heart starts to palpitate. When you talk to your children, you tell your children how to deal with confrontations with the police. Why? So they will successfully survive an encounter with the police. This is intentional. And as we, begone, as we grow more fearsome, and when I say fearsome, I mean willing to stand up to abuse. The necessity for, uh, for drastic measures to keep us in temperature and to keep us in line come to the fore. And the courts will continue to help us do that. So is he going to be convicted? Possibly, possibly not. But I don't think it's important, and I, re and, I, and I defer to Michael's argument, which is the same. It doesn't make a difference, because until we change the system, this is going to continue. And how you do that is by making those people responsible. One of the, one of the things with the Chauvin trial is that 
it has actually got someone indicted. But ask yourselves, how many people have we seen get indicted and walk? A bunch of folk. That's right. A bunch of, a bunch That's of our folk. problem. Victor, welcome to the show, sir. We all with Johnny. We all with Johnny Cadero, uh, the chairman of the South Carolina Black Caucus. He's he's just finished giving us a history lesson on what's going on in our community. What you feeling, sir, as we come as we as you come into the show this evening? Well, um, I just came in on the middle of what um, Johnny Cadero was saying, and um, I agree with what he's saying because of the fact that um, the thing about us, the least little thing that we as African-Americans do is spotlighted. Um, Because I remember listening to, I can't remember who it was, talking about Wall Street with all the drugs that goes on there. Not marijuana, so on and so forth, but you had cocaine and high price drugs and the people there was not scrutinized like we are over simple possessions and it's a shame when we look at um this situation with the um Derek Chauvin case George Floyd what was his crime a counterfeit $20 bill he died because of a counterfeit $20 bill and then they try to use drugs they try to use um, all these other things to that um, he had heart trouble, high blood pressure, so on and so forth. That what contributed to his death. Not the fact that a knee was on him for nine minutes, nine plus minutes, but because of the fact, you know, that they tried to use these other things. That's even like both John in Dallas, Texas, that was shot and killed in his own home by the white female police officer, Amber Geiger, I think that's her name. They tried to say, well, he had marijuana in his house. I don't care if he had the crack pipe in his house. That do not justify him sitting in his home being killed by a police officer. Isn't she the one who said, who said all he had to do to listen and he wouldn't have got killed? <laughs> I believe it was. But he was that, in his that, house. That's funny. Yeah, that's, he that's the in point. his house. All and you then have what, to do I, is listen. I'm sorry. Listen, but, listen. But I mean, listen. Don't don't come in my house. Number one. You know something, and I, I want to jump in here because you guys are uh, got me all tingly as always, Victor. You especially. <laughs> you know one one thing that is disturbing about this situation is that you are hearing rhetoric from the right in relationship to Derek Chauvin being railroaded, uh, scapegoated, et cetera. And none of of the things that these guys are saying is sticking. Now, these jurors have a lot to contend with in these these moments. And that is what is disturbing to me. Uh, First of all, you have all this evidence in before you. You have great testimony coming from the witnesses all the way down to the guy, the clerk that was in the store, who actually took, who actually took the twenty dollar bill, and 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 called, and he's he is saying with so much regret, he wished he hadn't said anything. He wished he would have just took that and credited it to his own account, 
thus we wouldn't be in this situation. So it's odd that we're hearing the right talk about this more than you hear coming from the left. The left is already in silent mode in regards to waiting for an outcome. There's an entire nation within a nation waiting for this outcome. We have other cases. Let's not forget. Let's not forget the one in Georgia. Let's not forget the one in Texas. It's, it's so many of them that we can point to where there's cases pending and, and, and time being spent on convictions of these police officers, which I'll doubt that we're going to get a strong enough conviction for Derek Chauvin, I think. Even with the evidence that's so overwhelming, we may not even get a conviction. We may get, as Michael said, a hung jury, which I hope that is not the case. I hope that we could do better with this. Uh, Michael, come back to me and, and explain why you feel the way you feel in this situation. Because of, as I said, you need a unanimous verdict one way or the other. I don't think there are any jurors that, um, that really would vote to acquit this guy. Um, it, all it takes is just one holdout for a possible conviction despite the, no, the number of evidence that is being presented. And mind you, the prosecution has not closed out its case yet, all right? We already heard uh, there has been an autopsy report that was reported um, by reliable sources that cause of death was, um, a, was I'm trying to make sure I get the pronunciation of this word correct, asphyxiation um, to Chauvin's um, breathing in reference to the chokehold and the knee in the neck and the throat is a chokehold. And mind you, it was a banned chokehold. It is officially banned as per policies and procedures in the Minneapolis um, Police Department. So that's another whammy for um, Derek Chauvin. I would also um, suggest, and I hope to God, the um, prosecution introduces this into evidence and the reason why I mentioned a certain individual's name. There is a video that's been floating on YouTube in which Mr. Chauvin was in attendance of the rally of you-know-who, along with other white police officers wearing T-shirts that says something like Minneapolis Cops for Trump. And the and other rallies um, when Trump was going for his 2020 re-election campaign, there was always a group of police officers that was standing behind him at that podium, and they were always wearing a T-shirt saying where they're from and saying cops for Trump. Now, why is this significant? Because Mr. Trump is also on record on a live coast-to-coast -coast, um, coast -coast television broadcast of a police convention that took place in Nassau, in Nassau Long Island, in New York, um, telling police officers, don't be so nice to the people that you come across. And in so many words, telling them, go ahead and rough them up, show them who's boss, go ahead and slam their heads on the hoods of the vehicles, 
All in all, Trump was on record encouraging and inciting police abuse. Add to that, amongst those, as I said, in the um, Minneapolis um, rally for Trump, among those uh, Minneapolis cops that were cheering for Trump, it was Derek Chauvin. And he had seen on video, this took place um, at least a few months prior to the fatal encounter with George Floyd. Another thing that needs to be examined is that how in the world can Derek Chauvin be a bouncer? And I know this was another confirmed report. He indeed was a bouncer at a bar in which George Floyd also worked at. But Derek Chauvin is a, in a civil service profession in which there is a thing called code of ethics that they shouldn't be and really were not supposed to be taking another um, employment or side job because it presents conflict of interest. So one would have to question how in the world Derek Chauvin is working as a bouncer when he is a police officer and he wasn't supposed to be in that second job. All in all, what we're seeing here, folks, is a guy who wanted to be a police officer but have no respect for law, no respect for the Constitution. When I say respect, I'm also going to use regard. Um, who had no respect for policies and procedures, that the only thing he had was defiance. And his thing was, I got the badge, I got the gun, and I got the position, and I do whatever the... Uh, I want, and yes. I make the laws. You know something? That's uh, the make, bad you're attitude. It, you, you've been making this accusation for a long time in relationship to what's going on when it comes to Blue Lives Matter. Uh, you're not saying it, but I'm saying it. Uh, yes, they had Trump had that rally where there was a, a bunch of a bunch of law enforcement folks there, and all of them wearing T-shirts and supporting him. Uh, one thing that that is disturbing about this situation is that we still have this model in place now with a whole set of issues as we go forward in 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 the country. Victor, you you had a point. Did you want to make? What's your point, sir? Yes, um, I, I want to talk about Hong Julie. Uh, Michael brought something to my mind. Okay, tomorrow is April the fourth, Easter Sunday. First, I want to say that um, tomorrow is 53 years that Dr. King was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee. 54 years when he gave his Beyond Vietnam speech. But it's also six years that Walter Scott was shot and killed by uh, police officer, officer Michael Slager in North Charleston, South Carolina. And if you remember, January of 2016, that case ended in a hung jury. But then in May 2017, the federal charges came in and Michael Slager was sentenced to 20 years. And when you talk about the hung jury, because there was one juror, one juror, one, I emphasize the number one, who did not want to convict um, Officer Slager, 
And I remember this case because the judge, Clifford Newman, is a cousin of my wife. And he um, had the jury to deliberate again, only for the one juror to keep from convicting the police officer. See, what happens is that in America, we have this thing with authority. Some, some people feel that authority can do no wrong. It made me think of something that I remember uh, reading about in my psychology class when I was going to the University of South Carolina. They uh, had this experiment back in the 50s or 60s. I can't remember exactly when. Um, they would put an actor in the room. They would bring in a local person and they would have the switch. And the actor, at light, when you turn the switch up, the people be electrocuted. So they found this man who was, you know, um, he, he presented himself as a doctor, dressed in the right coat, so on and so forth. So if he would tell the person to turn up the switch to electrocute the person, they would do it because authority told them to do so. And I guess y'all are wondering, why am I saying all this? I'm saying this because of trying to bring home a point of why it is so hard for people to convict police officers. Because before Rodney King, um, the place that was notorious for police killing people was Miami, Florida. And this is why I am a Miami Hurricane fan to this day, but I'll go into that another day. Um, but because of the fact that there was no cameras, police was getting off. And even with Rodney King case, the first police beating you seen on camera, the officer was initially acquitted. So I'm just trying to bring home a part of how hard it is to get people to acquit those that's in authority, such as police officers, such as a former president. Because let's look at our 45th president. He have done more than enough dirt, enough dirt to cover the earth two times over. But it's going to be hard to get people to convict him. Let's go to the press. Michael, talk to me. You uh, a man yeah. on the, you a man on, not you, Michael, the other Michael. Michael. Oh. Yeah, yeah, you know, Michael, Michael, <laughs> Michael, you a man on the ground with the press. First thing, I, I hold my breath every time I see you guys out there when they throw in, when they have the gas and shooting rubber bullets and folks running. And I see the guys wearing T-shirts saying press. Mm-hmm. Talk to me. He, it, this opportunity to catch content on film, on video, on in pictures, is that something that is impactful as we think? Or has it been watered down by, by ideology, as Michael has been speaking about Trumpism, or any other mm-hmm. ide- any other ideology that has watered down the facts? So talk to me about it from a press point of view. Um, I don't think it's that that the images watered down. I, I think what it is. I think if anything. As a as a photojournalist, I am I am also paid by 
other organizations when there are rallies or something to go out and get content, um, which is video content, um, sound bites from participants, or just your, your standard pictures. I think that because of the technology and accessibility of, of, of cameras, um, I think that people have become desensitized to images. And because we see them all the time now, a lot, we're desensitized to them. And people are always, and media organizations are always trying to get the the most dramatic photo. They a get you know if somebody bleeding. Don't stop and help them. Just get just film as much of the blood as you can. Um, and so that had that has still the uh, necessity of this image driven um, society where you have people now out um, you know documented. That hurts, but also. Um, it, it helps. It's almost a double-edged sword, but um, it, it helps give content. It helps um, people understand the true story. Had we not watched from this guy's cell phone video of the knee on Floyd neck, then the world would not have felt it. And because of that video, we not only saw it, but we felt it and more so we we heard it, and we heard him scream, and so it, it it gives it it gives the media opportunity to do what we have we are supposed to do, bring you the un unvarnished truth. What has happened in this society with the you know with under the Trump administration, which we're still recovering from now, we he for the first time questioned the press. He said, shake news. Oh, that ain't real. Oh, I got alternative facts. So what you saw was white supremacy at its, at its height, saying not only are we going to do what we want to do, when you come to us with the truth, we're going to say it's not true. We got, if you come to me with facts, I'm going to say, well, I got alternative facts. We, I think the media missed the mark when we allowed Trump to start, go to create the fake news narrative. Now you have all media companies, all these New York Times and all real news, real, we followed this fool down this rabbit hole. And so now that he put it out there, now you have 50% of the country who, let's be real, who followed, who were supporting this fool, this racist, this supremacist, they were following him. And so when he said fake news, so you, now you got 50% of the country that's saying, okay, that didn't happen. You know, these shootings that happened at these schools, oh, oh, that was fabricated. Those were actors. Never before have I seen such foolishness. And so now you have 50% of the people questioning. You you know, the, the events that took place January 6th with the uh, Capitol insurrection. Oh, that, oh they, they, didn't meet, they didn't do nothing. Oh, no, it wasn't meant. Oh, they was, they was peaceful until the police provoked them. You know, they were all Blue Lives Matter up until January 6th. 
Then it was, okay, um, you know, y'all, you protecting them. You know, that same foolishness, the election was stolen. All of that, and 50% of the country believed them, but all of that came because of my counterparts decided we're going to give credence to this fake news narrative. We're going to debate facts with fools, and you don't debate facts with fools. That should have never been given the platform that it did. And so now what happened as a society, we so we see so many images, and images are so easily Photoshopped, it's very hard now to determine what's real and what's not real. And so we, we, as, yeah, we as journalists have to do a better job of giving context to images and not just showing an image or selling an image just to get the shock value or get the emotional value. We have to give, we have to give images words as well. A, a picture, pictures will, a picture can say, uh, you know, a thousand words, a picture's worth a thousand words, but we have to give context to those words and those images. Uh Absolutely, Michael. Absolutely. I love what you're saying because you're kind of giving me an idea of, of how the press deals with these situations on the ground and and dealing with the content as it comes before you, as it's, uh, as it's doing an absolute uh, unveiling right before your eyes. You know, Donald did a good job of 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 circumventing the truth for a lot of people. And everybody that that 50 percent that bought into it is still buying into it long after he's been gone. You know uh, what's sad about this situation? And I want to I want to bring Michael in and Michael, I'm going to give you a few more. My other Michael, I'm going to give you a few minutes to kind of clarify what you what on this. And then I want to move on to the voter suppression uh, that's happening across the country. We're going to start in Georgia. We're going to talk about our state here, South Carolina, in just a moment. That's why we have Johnny here tonight. Uh, we all I also want to talk a little bit about what's happening with uh, uh, our economy s- since Joe Biden has put this money into the country now that that has uh, uh, given everybody an economic boost. We're going to talk about those things coming up here. Michael, go ahead with your comments, sir. Well, uh, in regards to this particular case. You know, I'm still optimistic that we will get some positive results, and it'll be interesting to see um, what the prosecution presents forth, um, especially when I hope um, they do present what I had suggested earlier. But things might be different this time around because of the very fact, and this is one thing for prosecution to press upon, especially in their closing arguments, that the defendant is no longer, no longer a police officer. That, in fact, he was terminated for his sequence of events, his actions, and subsequent cover-up, as we have seen in the um, past couple of days of testimony, from, especially from the supervisors, um, supervising personnel, that, you know, he was terminated for the very actions and which led to and warranted the criminal charges that he is now facing and is on trial for. So 
before you seen police officers as defendants and they wouldn't be terminated until after the particular trial. They, a lot of them have been acquitted because they were police officers, as some people would say. Um, they probably were later um, convicted in a departmental trial in which they would be fired, like in the case of Daniel um, Pantaleo, New York, a former New York um, police department officer. This was the guy that choked um, Eric Gardner to death, used a banned choke code. There are those words again. He was acquitted in a criminal trial, but I can't recall if he was acquitted or if he wasn't indicted. But the thing is, it was in the departmental trial, and he was convicted in that, and thus the punishment was termination of his position. And he's no longer a police officer. Here in the Minneapolis case, here's Derek Chauvin and all the other three police officers involved in George Floyd's death. We can't call them police officers any further. They are now former police officers because of the actions that um, they they committed that led to George Floyd's death, his murder, if we want to call it that, and they are on trial for their very actions. That may have a significant effect on the jury that you are not deciding if a police officer is guilty or not. You are now deciding a lay civilian whether he's guilty or not of killing George Floyd. And the fact is that he did it while as a police officer, that is no longer the case because of the actions that violate policies and procedures. These factors are going to come into play and may very well um, shift the dynamics as to the outcome of this particular case. But as Michael, excuse me, as my fellow namesake <laughs> had pointed out, and as Victor and John had said, uh, the, the key element here is the racism. And it still goes to my concern of a possible hung jury because of somebody that secretly, I, I don't want to spread any accusations or anything like that, but just that remote possibility that someone's not looking to convict um, Mr. Chauvin despite the overwhelming evidence because the person has his politics or his or her politics or his or her prejudice um, intact. And, you know, there could, there could very well be a hung jury. But mind well, you, Michael, even if it's well, a Michael, hung jury, yes. Yeah. Well, even if it's a hung jury, yeah. Now, now you're basing this off of previous previous situations, right? Oh, previous with, situations. With this, yeah, of course. We don't okay, know okay. what the outcome is. But I'm preparing everybody of a possible just in case. outcome, just in Let's, case. But understand also that does not stop the prosecution from retrying the case if they don't have a conviction and it ends as a hung jury. Okay. Well, Victor has a, Victor. What's your point, sir? And we're gonna move on. What's your point? 
like what Michael was saying. Okay, what Michael was saying was that, you know, he's no longer a police officer, and that is true. But unfortunately, when people look at this video, they're going to see someone who was a police officer who did use excessive force, but someone who don't want to convict him got to use the fact that he did this as a police officer because it might be somebody who is to the far right who um, believe in Blue Lives Matter, which, in my opinion, Blue Lives Matter lost their credentials on January 6th when all these folks that heard of Blue Lives Matter was beating up all the police officers. But yet, uh, I'm going to say this one thing, and I'm going to finish right here. These same people are probably going to try to use the situation that happened yesterday as uh, retaliation with the gentleman, Noah Green, I think that's his name, mm-hmm. the uh, fellow from the Nation of Islam who drove into the barrier yesterday killing an officer. So he's going to try to use this one person to try to justify January 6th. Yeah, yeah, we, we all witnessed that. I, I had I had my it's own cool. reservation. I had my own reservations when it came to this situation. Um, they saying this young man had had some mental issues. He got of that vehicle. We all knew that. I, I'm pretty sure, as 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 everyone witnessed, that young man had a mission to end his life. Uh, it was granted to him as he as he departed that vehicle. We don't know the, the the entire story. From what I understand, this story is continuing to unfold as we speak. There's a bunch of investigation going on right now. In, in relationship to why he got that close to the barrier in the first place after that perimeter was already shut down. He had access to that perimeter. And so this whole thing just kind of went uh, uh, 360 very quick. And so let's let's hope that we can uh, find out the truth behind this. Um, there's, a, as I said, there's a lot of talk on social media about uh, about the condition of the young man and his mental state. Uh, and everything else that people are saying. I don't like to jump to conclusions too fast. Um, I'm a factual person. I need the facts before we could come out here and start talking about what's going on. Accusations put the truth at bay. We don't want to keep using accusations. We want the truth in these situations. Let's talk about this voter suppression situation, gentlemen. And, and the first thing comes to mind, March 26th, Brian Kemp signed an order for for uh, a type of voter suppression that hasn't been heard in in 30 years or more. There were no people of color in that room in the governor's office when he signed that bill into law. So let's jump up. We had a situation here where Don Lemon made some comments. I'm not going to play what he commented on air, but I would love for you guys to hear this. If you would like to go back and listen to what Don Lemon's reaction you can check that out on YouTube, CNN, Don Lemon, uh, reaction to the Georgia law, the new voting law. You can go back and listen to this. Also, Cory Booker had some things that he said as well on the readout, which what which I thought was poignant, as as always. Uh, this is some things that we've been covering here in the point of concern. Uh, everybody has some comments in relationship to this. We want to talk about the, the, the Georgia lawmaker that was arrested. And and her and she was arrested. Now everyone they're saying that she could face an eight-year jail term for knocking on the governor's door, doing that signing uh, after she was arrested. 
there was a whole lot of support. There was a whole lot of commenting on this. Um, Michael said, so mad at this. And Kemp is capitalizing and stealing the election from Stacey Abrams. That was rigged. Yeah, we could go back to her all the way. Yes, we can go back to her. Also, we can go back to the fact that uh, in these situations, when it comes to voter suppression, we often think of our home state. I'm thinking of my own. Johnny, talk to me, sir. <laughs> What's happening at the Capitol? What's happening at the Capitol well, there in Columbia? Are, are you hearing any rumblings about voter suppression in South Carolina? Well, uh, you know, I believe in an economy of words, although people who listen to me don't think that's true. <laughs> I try to believe in an economy of words. Fact of the matter is we, we can sum this up very, very simply by saying that voter suppression is Jim Crow. I say that again. Voter suppression is Jim Crow. I need to hear to, for people who keep telling me about things have changed when, when they really don't understand what this is about. What Kemp did, what South Carolina will do, and what all the states of the Confederacy will attempt to do in one way or another is to draw, is to prevent us from voting. It's simple. It's plain and simple. And my problem is always that we complicate these matters by giving too much time to the other side. What we do is when we, when we make a statement or they make a statement, we feel the necessity to argue with them about their statement. I don't have to argue with you that America is, is racist. I don't have to argue about their racist past. I don't have to argue about voter suppression. I don't have to argue about slavery. All the things have, things have occurred, and everybody knows it. So here's what we need to do, and I'm talking South Carolina now. We need to show that we've really made some changes here. How do we do that? We need to start by allowing the Democratic Party to become part of this fight and to seriously get behind it. We put the president in the, in the office. We did that. Black folk in South Carolina led the way in the, in the reason that Biden is now president of the United States. We need to be compensated for that. We need to be shown that we are valued. We need to see that our legislators now speak out against what's going on in other states. Because believe me, if they get away with it in Georgia, they're coming down here. So what do I think that we should do about this? We should be vocal and vociferous in our vocality and ensure that we never, ever again allow Jim Crow to raise his dirty, vulgar head in our, in our society and among our people. How do we do that? We do that by ensuring that the people that we put in office are truly people who represent our issues. Do they have to be black? No, and they try to accuse me of that all the time. No, they don't have to be black. They have to be people who are interested in fundamental fairness. Nothing more than fundamental fairness. That's all we ask. If you do that, you can see a change. But my fear, my deep-seated fear based on 72 years of experience is that what Frederick Douglass said in 1857, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never did, and it never will. Those people who are in control refuse to allow us to take control. Well, what do I mean by that? I mean that the very definition of democracy is majority rules. In South Carolina, to speak particularly of South Carolina, in South Carolina, we represent 66% of the Democratic electorate. Why do we not see more of our issues being raised by the Democratic Party? Again, can we place fault at the blame? Can we place blame at, at anyone's doorstep? Yeah, we could. 
And if we really want to do that, the place we should present, we, we should put it at is at our doorstep because we have been complicit in allowing people who have demonstrated their disregard for us and our rights for centuries, and we have still continued to support them and to send them back to office. My grandmother used to say, fool me once, uh, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. Somebody said to me the other day, and I, I, I promised I would, I would I promise I would mention this any chance I get. And it took me a minute to get it, but I got it, and I hope your viewers, your, your listeners will get it. And that is, there's no knowledge in the second kick of the mule. <laughs> That's a good one. No knowledge. That's a good one. If that ain't, if that ain't, <laughs> if that ain't South Carolina country, I don't know what is. And, and the person who said he came from, is from South Carolina. Yeah, and, I, I can I believe it. I've also told that person that every time I used it, I would attribute it. And that's Michael Bailey who told me that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. Oh, my. Well, well, let's do this. Let's do this. And I I am I am a person who's who's ever so present when it comes to voting and getting people out to vote. The guys know my passion about making sure voters understand uh, repercussions of voter suppression. All during the 2020 election season, we we talked about it on the show about people getting out to vote and and turning out in large numbers. And that is exactly what happened. You had an overwhelming voter turnout across the across the southeast, Texas and beyond where people came out and voted in mass. I believe we had a few Republicans cross the lines and voted Democrat, too, for the first time in their lives because they felt they felt Donald Trump was just absolutely incompetent. Thinking Republicans, they were embarrassed by Donald. I am. I'm, and let let Murray say it one time for everybody. Thinking Republicans. <laughs> I'm not talking about folks that don't think. I was talking about thinking Republicans, people who actually think things through when they hear negativity and and racist dog dog baiting and everything else you want to say under the sun. These were thinking Republicans. They, they probably said, "You know what? It's time to get him out of here." Uh, Victor, now, talk to me. Talk to me, sir. What What are your thoughts on this? Because, as you said, back in 2020, we're gonna have to make it happen, and we did. What's your thoughts now, as we as as this new voter suppression law is making its way across the country? What you thinking? First, my thoughts are this: Everybody that thought this Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger was a hero. He shows who he really is, someone that supports Brian Kemp voter suppression law. Second, I am grateful that the um that Major League Baseball moved the All Star game out of Atlanta, Georgia. And then I hear that um Governor Kemp came and doubled down on the law, saying that oh they'll be intimidated by Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, and the liberal left. But guess what? What's going to happen when Delta Airlines start to lose a bunch of business? What's going to happen when we start buying uh, Coca-Cola products? And I have a brother that lives in Atlanta. I have two older children that live in Atlanta. What's going to happen when this economy starts drying up, or not completely drying up, but when they start losing millions of dollars because these People are so afraid of Stacey Abrams and Mayor 
of Atlanta, Keisha Lance Bottom. Um, Brian Kemp, to me, is the biggest coward there is, along with Henry McMaster and Nikki Haley, our former governor. Um, and, and they're going to try to push these laws. But what I'm hoping will happen would be like when Arizona did not want to honor Martin Luther King Day. They just start, like, moving all businesses out of Georgia. And Arizona, Arizona lost the Super Bowl one year because they didn't want to honor Martin Luther King Day. And do you remember, any, any of the guys who own this panel from this state, when um, South Carolina was being boycotted because the people did not want to take down the Confederate flag off of the state house. Yep. New York Knicks start coming here uh, yep. for their summer practice. Um, a lot of people boycotted South Carolina. So I'm for a full boycott of Georgia until it brings them to their knees and that they do away with this voter suppression law. And hopefully by this happening in Georgia, it will silence these other conservative states that want to do that because the Arizona now is trying to get into the fray. And I don't Texas. understand why, because don't they remember what happened when they didn't Texas want to well. honor a Martin Luther King Day? Texas as well, Victor. Uh, yes. Texas. Texas. Oh, my Same God, thing. Texas. I lived in Texas for three years of my life. Oh, my God. Um, and, and, and I'm back in South Carolina, and I always say I did not leave anything in Texas. Well, this the, the, coming from the headlines, it's saying this came from the AP that uh, the governor is, is wanting to curb voting options and polling hours in Texas. Uh, and, there, there are a whole bunch of other states doing the same thing. Uh, uh, Michael? Talk to me, sir. What's your thoughts? Uh, we we we've been we've been crying about uh, voter suppression and getting people out to vote and mm -hmm. actually asking people to register to vote. What's your what you thinking, sir? Um, it's showing, I, and I'm sure you t I'm, I'm sure you're talking. <laughs> which Michael? <laughs> SW, SW, go Michael. Okay. SW, I'm coming to you, MB. Okay. Okay. Um, it goes right back to what I have said several times that, you know, people like Brian Kemp and these Republicans, um, they can never, ever win on the merits. Never. They lie, they cheat, and they deceive the American people. And they know who are the likely opponents, and that is people of color, because they're the ones that are cheating people of color and treating us like garbage, even to the point of defending any time and every time a person of color unarmed is shot dead by a police officer or a white non-police officer. And always want to use the excuse of mental illness on the offender's case because the offender happens to be white or one of them a totally two different sets of rules. I've said long time that for every person of color that is incarcerated or annihilated is one less opposition vote for these Republicans to face and face being embarrassed of. Ain't nobody that's going to vote for somebody 
who treats them like garbage and who totally defies the laws, the Constitution, and the very fundamentals of this nation, the nation that embraces the principles of the law, the Constitution, of equality, equal treatment, equal accountability, which is supposed to be, and equal protection. Brian Kemp turned around, and I said it before, and yes, Michael S.W. is going to say it again, literally stole the election from Stacey Abrams. How and why? Because Mr. Kemp was Secretary of State in Georgia, and he maintained his position and utilized his um, his fundamentals and, quote, powers as Secretary of State to personally hand control the outcome of the case. He purposely purged voters that were clear opponents of him and pretty much shaped the outcome to favor him as governor. People kept saying if he's going to run as governor, he needs to, um, he needs to, what's the word I'm looking, what's the word I'm looking for? He, he needs to step aside as Secretary of State and let the election, the governor election, be overseen by an independent observer, or otherwise he should withdraw from the race. He should never, ever have been allowed to be acting as Secretary of State but also being a contender for governorship. And we saw how everything went down that he controlled it to his favor and, de- and declared himself the winner and had somebody, one of his supporters, declare him the winner. Now, if that's not stolen, I don't know what is. And then now okay. we're seeing a double down on this, of the voter suppression, and which, mm-hmm. surprise, Arizona went blue. Surprise, Georgia went blue. We have more and more people that have registered and had um, voted and took a stand and making a clear voice that we are not tolerating this kind of suppression, this kind of um, defiance of the U.S. laws and Constitution. But these Republicans, instead of taking this as a learning experience that you've got to follow the law and the Constitution and you've got to be transparent with the American people of all sides, of all kinds, of all colors, of both genders. No, they want to double down and be in further defiance. Watch how this could play, and this is just a prediction, that this could wind up in the federal courts, maybe the U.S. Supreme Court, I don't know. And I don't know how the U.S. Supreme Court will respond to this, but we do have a new, if not yet, uh, we, Merrick, we Garland, Merrick Garland new, is looking into Merrick it. He's Garland. looking into it. Looking into right. It. And we already know Merrick Garland's primary um, goal is to investigate and stop any and all acts of dishonesty, acts of racism. And this is clearly racism going on here. When you're going to target um, people of color to stop them from voting and trying to set up a message and this is what's going on in the other southern states, that, oh, you don't vote for me, you don't support me, you don't, let me, let me 
reverse that. You don't support me, you don't vote for me, then you don't vote, period. I yep. said so. I make the laws. That's the attitude that's going on here, and that's defiant of the um, laws in the Constitution, and that is clear racism. We also need to call these Republicans out that want to play the Christian card. They got the audacity and want to keep claiming Christian morals and family values, but then what was not mentioned in this Georgia law is that they're making it a crime for anyone that brings any kind of comfort to the um, targeted people of color that are standing on long lines to vote, you cannot bring them food, you cannot bring them water, you cannot bring them a chair or anything to um, ease the burdens of standing on the long line. If you do, you're going to be criminally charged, and that is absolutely heinous. How are you going to penalize and criminalize somebody for doing an act of Christian kindness, an act of charity that falls under the definition of being a Christian, but yet you're going to call yourselves a Christian? That is a major question that ought to be um, asked right now. What are you hoping and counting on, Republicans, for these people of color to just drop dead or collapse while they're standing on the lines? And it goes, it give me further credit as to what I'm saying. You don't want people to vote that you rather them be incarcerated or have them dead because they will not no longer be voting against you. Okay, I, I would like to know if George Floyd was a registered um, voter. Let's well, ask we, that we question. Won't. This is the thing. And yes, folks, you're listening to the Community Call podcast. We are with Michael, Victor, Michael. Michael Bailey from the Minority Report, and we on with Johnny Condero. And I'm going to tell you something. You guys got me all tingly this evening here. This is the thing I want to say in relationship to what you're saying, Michael. You know, from time to time. You mean Michael S.W.? Yeah. You mean from time okay. to time, we, 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 always talk, we always talk about how we feel the way Republicans are going. One thing that we can never, we can always count on, and that's them, that's them cheating. That's them lying. Yes, I'm using broken language. I'm sorry. That's them trying to make it hard for everybody else. But understand something. This mandate for Joe to win sealed the deal. We had a lot of help here. Not just folks that took didn't take advantage not to vote. Folks took the advantage to vote this time around. We all wanted a better outcome this time nobody wanted to vote for donald trump at all even the republicans even those staunch conservatives the ones that were in the closet with the door closed afraid to come out and admit to the world that he's poisonous to us but he's doing what we ask him to do and that's the big thing here now here we are in the middle of a in the middle of a, a recovery, not just economically, a COVID recovery. Dare I say it's a COVID recovery? Yes. You have 86 million people vaccinated now, and you're shooting for 100 million be- between now and the first week of May. Okay. This is what I call being presidential. 
This is what I call politics at work, okay? Let's borrow some words from Reverend Dr. William Barber. Don't blame Trump for where we are now. Name all of those who have lied for him, upheld him, covered for him, put false religion around him, and enabled him. If we end up in war, there must be a selective amnesia. Anyone who didn't speak up bears the blame. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Michael Bailey, talk to me, sir. You're on the ground listening to folks in the media like we are here. Talk to me. Um, well, in, in terms of the, the voting laws, and I think what is what what needs to be recognized. A lot of times we put a lot of emphasis, a lot of of um, energy toward the Republican Party, and we don't look at the Democratic Party as a whole or, or what they can do. Um, and voter suppression and all this; those are just buzz terms. Because one side say these laws uh, suppress votes, the other side is just going to say voter integrity. And so we need to think back to the Voting Rights that uh, the Voting Rights Act of 1965, which, uh, of course, you know they let certain portions of that expire, more so Section Five. Well, Democrats now control the House and the Senate. Why can't we now enact those pieces of legislation? That would do. A lot of times we get caught up in the hype and we have to understand how politics work. Neither people don't want, people want people to vote. They just want you to vote the way they, they would like you to vote. Both sides of the coin, both Democrats and Republicans practice voter suppression. The problem comes in is we only raise hell when it's the Republicans. When the Democrats use voter suppression techniques, we don't say anything. Right now in South Carolina, we have one of the most powerful uh, congressmen, people, black men in Congress in history. He district, when you talk about looking at redistricting, drawing district line, he has his district is 70% black. He does not need 70% of black district to win. If you do, if you understand how this works with redistricting, you take twenty something, fifteen percent out of his district to put in another district. Bam, you'll get another uh, Democratic district in South Carolina. It's not the Republicans. We need to wake up and realize we don't. Sometimes we don't understand what's really going on. I've worked in the state legislature for 13 years. When I left the state legislature, I formed the South Carolina Voters Association to fight and to combat voter ID laws. Among those people who was fighting with me were Tea Party. You ain't never heard of that. In the news, CNN, NBC, WLTX, the Tea Party was adamantly opposed to, uh, uh, to voter ID laws. We don't understand what's going on. We like to talk TV politics and not policy what's going on in in what takes place inside a legislative body. 
we have to hold the people we voted for accountable if you want to fix, if you want to stop voter suppression. It ain't nothing new. The problem is we only yell at Republicans when they participate in voter uh, uh, voter suppression. We need to be yelling at the Democrats, the Republicans. We didn't vote for them. If you, the people that you don't vote for don't care about, they're not there to cater to your needs. You have to bring this South Carolina, put Joe Biden in the White House, specifically black voters. So you, what I, I say this all the time and people get mad at me, uh, politics and there is a quick pro quo. That Donald Trump said there was no quick pro quo. That is how politics works. I vote for you, you get, I want something if I vote for you. I want you to make sure I get a job. I want you to make sure I'm, I'm taken care of. I want you to make sure we have health care. It is a quick pro quo. We have to move away from TV politics and start really looking at policy and legislative politics. It is not voter You see all these voter suppression laws that are now coming about. It's not the Republican Party. They're pushing them. It's the Democratic Party that is not doing anything about them. They're not. And so we have a term, we have a Democratic Attorney General, we have a Democratic President, Democratic House of Representatives, and a Democratic Senate. They, we need to not stop yelling at Kemp and start yelling at Warnock, what we sent you up there to do. We got to understand politics. It's a game. They want you to yell at the Republic. It's the old bait and switch. You yelling, you yelling at the person at the front door, and we robbing you out the back door. We need to wake up. <laughs> Clyburn can turn this voter suppression in South Carolina. Clyburn can end it with redistricting. He can stand up and say, you know what? I'm going to give. 20% of my, redraw this line, and I'm going to get some more black people in this district. Because what they did was historically, they call it packing. They put all the black people in one district. Why you do that? That way, we only got to deal with one black, one Democrat, possibly one Democrat. They did that for a reason. It is not the Republicans. We wasting breath time and energy yelling at Republicans, they're not in power, people. This is politics one-on-one. Sometimes we have to stand up. When I worked in the legislature, Representative Neal, uh, uh, the late Representative Joe Neal, Michael, if you don't understand, stand up and ask me something. It is crucial that you understand. It is not voter suppression is being spearheaded by Republicans. But it is a problem. It is being spearheaded because Democrats really want the same thing. One of the things I worked for Hillary Clinton in 08 when she ran against Obama, I was historically, they brought me on. I was known in political circles for my voter registration. I had, for years, I had been doing voter registration, voter registration in black communities, and I was known throughout the political circles for doing voter registration. When Hillary Clinton realized that she was going to have to run against a black man, they brought me on. What I, when I got there, what I thought I was doing, oh, I'm going to do voter registration campaigns, I'm ready. No, I want you to suppress the vote. Don't do voter registration campaign. I want you to do fish fries. 
I want you to do this. I want you to do that. Yeah, give them some food. You know, don't, no, no. We doing voter registration at the fish rock. No, just give them some more fish. And uh-huh. we got to wake up. We don't know what's going on. And it's okay not to know, but we got to be willing to ask the question. You want to stop voter suppression? Don't call Kemp. Don't yell at the Republicans. Get your congressperson on the phone and tell them, do something. Right, right. Boy, if this ain't full of pet Folks, did y'all hear this? This is what I call passion right here. This is what I call information feel passion. Thank you, Michael, for that. Absolutely got to have boots on the ground when it comes to this. And I agree with you. We need to hold our our own party accountable for for slackness. Yes, yes, we do have to hold our party accountable for the slackness when it comes to things. Yes, South Carolina was a catalyst into getting Joe Biden into the White House. Yes, he was. But there was so much. There were a ton of questions coming from folks. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? What are you going to do, Murray? What he's going to do? Well, he has a strategy and he's letting that strategy play out. But I'm I'm with I'm like this. And I'm going to make this. I, I want to be brief with this because this is this is important for everybody to listen. We have a midterm election coming up. 2022. Michael and Victor have been talking about 2022 for a moment. I'm talking about it now. We have to put boots on the ground and make sure people understand if there's any changes in Congress, it'll be because of the lackness and the hysteria of winning that will keep people home in 2022. We can't allow that to happen. Folks need to come out and, and vote for those who have an opportunity to go back. There's going to be some people that are not going that are not going to get reelected simply because people may stay home because of the hysteria of winning a presidential race. I'm encouraging everybody, don't believe the hype. Get out and vote. Support your candidate, the candidate of your choice. Yes, Michael, I agree with you. We have to understand the legislative process is very important, very, very important. If if it was left up to me, every middle school and high school and college kid would uh, uh, attend a legislative session at the Capitol building. We all, hey, I, my dad took us, my dad took us when we were kids. My dad took us and made us stay for several hours just to listen to some of the talking points some bills and etc. Maybe that's where this political passion came from. Even <laughs> spending a little time in Columbia, hanging around George Washington and feeling some kind of way. You know, these things are what parents supposed to do. These are things that we continue to talk about in 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 our group here, and we want people to understand. You have to work your politics. You can't talk your politics. You have to work your politics. That's why I invite so many people to come on and share with us and be a part of this because people need to hear the truth and people need to understand that there's people with knowledge out here who can help you move the needle to where you want it to go. Let's talk about South Carolina, the pothole state. That's what I want to call it. Everywhere you go, it's potholes everywhere. Folks are complaining about flat tires everywhere. Well, we don't have we don't have the Folks, first thing folks want to say, we don't have the money to fix the roads. We don't have the money. We're putting our money in, in other places, Murray. 
You're putting our money in other places. But you go to certain neighborhoods, you're riding on smooth streets, clean, clean streets, nice traffic signals, brand new sidewalks and brand new stores. But you go to other neighborhoods and you don't see any of that stuff. Hmm. And that's, that's the thing with folks. We got to get out and, and, and be warriors on the ground. I agree. You have to be a part of the process. You have to move the needle and get people inspired. That's what we do here. Folks, this is the Community Call Podcast again. I'm your host, Murray Raleigh Jr. We're going to bring this, this episode to a close. There's, everybody wants to talk a little bit. We're going to have to do a part two. I have a passion field episode tonight, and I just want to bring this, this part to a close, I want to invite you guys back, um, Michael, Michael and Johnny. Yes, Michael, just give me a moment. Michael and yes. Johnny, I would love to have you back on the show as we get ready to do another episode. Please come back and share with us. Anytime, Go ahead, Michael. Go ahead, Michael, with your comment yes. before we go. Yes, thank you, because um, I won't be able to stick around for the part two, because as Marie had said, ladies and gentlemen, this is an Easter special. And with that in mind, I do have an Easter vigil um, service to get to, church service, and I wanted the scriptural readings. Before I depart, first I need to um, state that, you know, the Republicans are a big lie for their wanting to come up with all these voter suppression laws as we know it. They don't want to call it voter suppression. They want to call it voter integrity because they want to avoid or stop voter fraud, which there's never been any voter fraud on the Democratic side. For all cases of voter fraud have been done on the Republican side. And on the last um, election, the the voter frauds that occurred on the Republican side was incited and instigated by the guy who lost to Biden and who is on record encouraging his supporters, vote twice, vote three times, you'll get away with it, so forth and so on. So you want to say the election is rigged and it's rigged against you, but then you're trying to rig it against your opponent by inciting your people to commit a vote of fraud we all, you all know you're only supposed to vote once. So I don't know what in the world that he was trying to pull, but the thing is, that's where the real voter fraud was occurring. So the whole thing is, as we're going into 2022 and beyond, got to be prepared. Yes, be on the grounds, but call these people out for their lives. As soon as they utter one single lie, don't wait till um, later on in the future to call them out on it, call them out right away, challenge them, you know, and, you know, how should I put this? If they want to play the Christian card, call them out on that too. And they want to play the patriotic card, call them out on that too. Don't give them a single opportunity for a second for them to spew their garbage out and expect it to stick on the wall. No, you don't want it to stick on the wall. You don't even want it to make contact on the wall. Debunk them right away before they think of trying to treat the American people as we're stupid. And we are not stupid. It's clearly not because 2018 is the prime example that we are not stupid. 2019, a prime example that we are not stupid. And by God's, by the grace of God, 2020 is the prime example. We are not stupid. 
because we got, for the first time in four years, a highly respected president occupying 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, a person who says that the presidency and the protection, the welfare of this nation is in his soul. That, my dear friends, is absolute love, a love displayed by this current president. And I use that word love strongly as we are about to celebrate, for those that are really Christian, the anniversary of the resurrection of the man who loved us so much to even suffer and die on the cross for salvation. And he has repeatedly given us the calling and commandment to love one another. We understand it. Unfortunately, there are those that do not understand it and who we can only hope and pray that somewhere down the line they will finally learn and embrace the importance of love and avoiding hate, love one another, and hopefully they will not have to learn it the hard way. But that said, ladies and gentlemen, I bid you a very happy and blessed Easter. God bless you all. Thank you all once again for your well wishes for my hospitality, for my time in the hospital. And I close out saying peace, and I love you all. God bless you all. Thank you, Michael. Thank you, Michael. Come on, Victor, what's your comment? All right. Uh, I just want to talk about something that Michael Bailey was saying, because, um, yes, I, I think about South Carolina being responsible for Joe Biden being president because Biden was not winning in the primary until our congressman, Jim Clyburn, endorsed Biden. Now, here's the funny thing about that. I had ran into um, Congressman Clyburn and Mayor Steve Benjamin of Columbia. Steve Benjamin, he and I go to church together, so I know him pretty well. So they were together at the uh, march to the dome on King Day in 2019. At that time, I asked Congressman um, Clyburn, who are you supporting? He said, I'm not decided yet. And Mayor Benjamin at the time was supporting Michael Bloomberg, you know, I guess because they were fellow mayors. And um, so then um, Congressman Clyburn came out maybe a month later and gave the endorsement for Biden where he had his where he had his first victory here in South Carolina and went on to win the Democratic primary and went on to win the presidency. And yes, we need to hold our people accountable. Whenever I see Clyburn, I'm gonna question him. Whenever I see Mayor Benjamin, I'm gonna question him. Another friend of mine is um State Senator Marlon Kempson. I would question him because of the fact that we cannot just uh say that the people we elected are in the house, we can sit back and relax. No, we got to keep the activism going. And um, the, uh, I want to talk about one more thing about this voter suppression law. The right is trying to say that um, the left would rather have people have COVID ID instead of voters ID. 
which I think is the craziest thing in the world. And um, I'm going to close my comments right there. And thank you for um, allowing me to um, allow me the time to comment. No problem, Victor. You can, always hey, can you I, can I make a come on, Michael. Or? Come on, Michael. What? I I just want to say I, I appreciate both those guys both those guys' remarks, but I I, I do want to say that the the I felt the passion in which uh, Michael spoke about Biden and and having a president that that that's respectable and having a president that shows compassion and it's an old saying uh, you know us old political consultants we always say republicans fall in line and democrats fall in love you know mm. so as democrats we love our elected our elected and those that we've elected and we sometimes we to our detriment, we deify them. And what what has to stop doing, especially in black communities, and understand we have to understand what politics is. If you are elected, you are a public servant. You are an employee of the voters of whatever state that elected you, whatever county, whatever district. We have to treat them as employees. We can't, as a businessman, I have had worked and hired many people that I have liked, and they have not did a good job. And because I like them, I'll give them a second chance. But after a while, when I'm losing money as a businessman, you got to go, because this is the way I eat. This is the way I feed my family. So if you're not a good employee, I'm sorry. I, I'm going to still like you, but you can no longer be employed. We have to look at voting and elected officials in the same right. If you're not doing a good job, you got to go. Ain't, got, ain't nothing bad. I know we want to love people and all that and, 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 and firing them ain't got nothing to do with loving them. Sending exactly. them home, sending them to the house, ain't got nothing to do with loving them. And we exactly. should be able to love them. And if they do a bad job, you got to go. Hold them accountable. Absolutely. Johnny, you got any parting words, sir? <laughs> Voter suppression is Jim Crow. I'll say it again. We are living in the era of Jim Crow. People thought it was gone. It's still here. It's alive and well. I agree with everything that was said, and particularly with regard to the fact that we have to hold our elected officials accountable. Something that we need to remember at all times, and that is that uh, my grandmother used to say that, let me make the rules, and I'll win the game every time. They make the rules. And they are playing by the rules. We can bemoan the, uh, the presidency of, of Donald Trump all we want to. Donald Trump didn't do anything that the law did not allow him to do. And by that, I mean in terms of how he operated. Um, the state legislatures, just remember this, right now in South Carolina, we have a, a majority uh, a, a, um, Republican legislature. Guess what's getting ready to happen? They're going to do redistricting again. Okay. Now, if you think that if you think that passing the laws as they did in Kemp, Kemp's case in Georgia is one thing, watch how they can slice up those districts to ensure that even if you've got the votes, you can't vote them out. The okay, other thing Johnny, that I want to say in this side, okay, if I can ahead. interrupt you for a second, okay. So sure, when, when when will this take place? Or uh, next year, 
year after next, this year. Well, it's, 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 it's every 10 years, and every 10 years, I don't know if they've actually released the the results for the census, but they have to get the results to the census in order to do it. Okay, that's what it's waiting on, if they haven't done that and, yet. And that's redistricting all over again. Well, I need to have you come back and explain when it, when when will this legislation hit the floor? Because we okay, need to let the we people can do know. We, we need to let the people know when this thing is going to happen. Um, make sure Absolutely. you send me your education. Sure yeah, educate our educate the listeners so we can make sure we educate to empower. That's what we have. Absolutely. To do. I mean, I should uh, say make one sure more I get your for... make sure I get your contact information so we can get this get this will, information out. Uh, go get, ahead. We can get that to you. Oh, here's something just for us to think about. And this is particularly for Michael W., but for everybody on the panel, myself included. Stacey Abrams just came out, I believe it was yesterday, against the boycott. Think about that. About the That's my remark. And thank you so much for having me. Yeah, against the boycott. You're welcome, John. Companies leave. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You too. Oh, what's some shocking news this evening? What's some shocking news? What's some shocking news? Well, folks, we want to thank everyone for being a participant of this episode of the Community Call. Michael, Victor, Johnny, Michael S.W., and everyone else who's been listening to the show tonight, we want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Community Call. Uh, You can find us, everyone, on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. You can find us also on Anchor.fm as well. If you would like to be a supporter of this podcast, you can support the podcast. We, You can become a Patreon member of the podcast as well. All you have to do is go to patreon.com, the Community Call podcast, and become a, mem- a Patreon member of the Community Call podcast. If you have a question for the show, you can email your question to communitycallpodcast at gmail.com. Attention panel and we'll take care of your questions the best way we know how and we'll definitely give you a response if you send out your questions to us here on the show whatever you do stay together stay in love peace are you listening to the same old political talking points then check out the community call for a new perspective on politics left right center we bring it together with an open and honest political discussion Thanks for listening to The Community Call. Be sure to tune in next time for another rousing discussion.